0: Welcome to North Bridge. If you turn with me, I'm going to read from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, your son. You, your son, and your son's son, by keeping all his statues and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might and these words that i commanded you today shall be on your heart this is the word of the lord
1: my name is alexia aguilar i'm a freshman at western michigan university and i'm going to be transferring to cedarville university next fall I am going to be studying child and family studies in psychology and Spanish, as well as minoring in youth or women's ministry.
2: My name is Mimi Brandon. I graduated from Cedarville University in 2020, and I now work as a nurse in Grand Rapids, Michigan.
3: I'm Jamie Burns. I currently live about 45 minutes north of New York City. I live there with my wife, and I work at IBM in finance. And since March, I've been working from my apartment, working remote. I attended Cedarville University.
4: My name is Caleb Sleeman. I'm a recent graduate of Michigan State University. And currently I'm actually stepping into a new role, joining full-time staff with Athletes in Action on the campus of Michigan State University. Good
5: morning, Northbridge. Uh, My name is Sarah Doan. I recently just graduated from Michigan State University last May. It's May of 2020. Um, I'm currently building my own business in personal training, um, so I'm also a health coach and personal
6: trainer. Hello everyone, my name is Michael Sheffer. I went to school at Boyce Bible College down in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm currently living in Parchment, Michigan, and um, I work over at the Target Distribution Center.
1: The way my parents prepared me before I went to college was the way that I make my decisions in small or big uh, decisions in my life. Um, which was always centering Christ um, in all decisions and remembering that he has a plan for me um, no matter how off i in track I go with my plan.
6: One area that my parents helped prepare me for um, going away to college was in the area of discipline and being willing to put aside the things that I may wish to do and in exchange get the things done that I really need to get done. Um, They did this, my mom would always, whenever we were growing up, we would always do uh, Bible time and memorizing scripture even before we did our regular homework.
2: My parents have been a big influence on my walk with the Lord, and one of those ways is through the discipline of spending time in the Word every day. Um, My family would get up early before school every morning and spend time together in the Word and praying before heading out, and this taught me the importance of spending time with our Savior before getting into our day, having that foundation of um, bringing our emotions and our interactions um, under the influence of the scriptures every morning and orienting our minds towards the gospel before heading out. Second way is um, making godly decisions. I often um, will go back and forth on my decisions and my parents continually asked me growing up um, to make decisions based on what brings God the most glory and um, deciding where I went to college, what kind of job I wanted to pursue, um, what to do after graduation. Um, They continually asked me what I felt would bring the most glory to God and to have peace with those decisions
3: that I make. The one thing my parents did to prepare me for college was setting a foundation of grace and repentance. My parents did this in two specific ways that I can think of. The first was doing daily devotions. So my my dad, me and my brothers would get up early, earlier than we'd like to get up, but we would get up early and dad would leave it, lead us in devotions, going through some foundational theological principles, but also how it applies to the daily life of a believer and setting those patterns of grace and repentance.
5: A couple ways my parents helped prepare me for college and just staying strong in my faith is by leading by example Um, my mom would you know read her bible in the living room or in the kitchen and just by doing that an act of obedience to the lord of growing closer to him by reading the word i was able to see that and know that that is something that is normal and what we need to do to grow in our relationship with the lord i know a lot of times that reading our bibles or things like that can be more of a private thing in families by you know doing it before bed or something um, but seeing her do that just out in the open whether in the kitchen in the living room i knew that that was something that was important to her so therefore i knew that it was important for me to do the same thing because i know when i went to college especially at a secular school um, none of my friends had bibles in their dorms or had them out on their desks um, so I knew that that wasn't really a normal thing to do, is you know, to read your Bible um, in that type of setting. So by my mom setting that example um, to me and my family, um, I knew that that was something that was important. Um, knowing that to be able to get to grow in my relationship with the Lord, I need to be able to read his word and understand it and meditate on it.
2: One of the greatest ways that I grew in college um, was developing strong foundations of friendship that pointed me towards Christ. Um, Having friends who daily were asking me how my walk with the Lord was going and how I was learning to trust Him each and every day. Um, Also sitting under great um, teaching of scripture at the university i was able to go to um, influence my knowledge of the bible which ultimately led to my love for the lord and so growing in just the depth of love for a savior who came and sent his son to die for me on the cross um, and knowing the depth of that
4: the
6: area that the college uh, helped me to grow in my walk with the lord was well, just the importance of being in scripture and having those around you um, be willing to hold you accountable and uh, hold you to your own faith. Um, One of the things that the the dean of the college even said when I first arrived was that if we had a perfect academic record but didn't get any closer to the Lord, it was a failure because the whole purpose was to draw us closer to the Lord and to come to a deeper understanding and knowledge of him. So uh, those are a couple of things that I learned both before and after college that assisted me in my life
1: year I've grown um, so much uh, with my walk with Christ I think this was one of the years that I have definitely put my faith completely in God and not just half and half um, especially coming off of high school and being my first year in college um, I really uh, learned that I wanted to learn my education in a godly view instead of a worldly view and that was a big change for me and learning that I don't have to go off of my plan and I do have to
4: go off of God's plan. So one way that I grew in my faith during my time at Michigan state was actually by being part of a small group Bible study. Um, I think that's such a a key way. Um, and not just for college students, but really for anybody to grow in their faith. Uh, God calls us to be in community with one another. Um, and so having opportunities to intersect in the lives of other people and share my struggles um, and have them share their struggles with, with the group and having people to lock arms with and go through life with is such an encouragement. Um, so I would say that's definitely one of the biggest ways that I grew in my faith during college.
7: Good morning, Northbridge. Welcome this morning. Thanks, Rick. Um, we got one that's here. My name is Ray Brandon. I'm the pastor for preaching, and I have the privilege to introduce our speaker this morning. But before I do, um, we have uh, been cultivating, working on cultivating joy in Christ that meets the needs of others. When we have joy in Christ, there's a natural outflow um, to those that are around us. And uh, this week, I got a little thank you note. It was addressed to, to the church. And uh, so without um, telling you the the young person's name that that wrote this, I I felt that it was appropriate since it was addressed to you to read this to you because it's part of cultivating joy. So we're going to do that right now. It says, thank you. Thank you for being the strong and faithful church throughout COVID and providing online church for those who stay at home. You've been very encouraging in sermons and great music and singers and worship. So, thank you to the elders, worship team, Pastor Ray, and the people who serve in church. Jesus bless you. So, wonderful thank you notes, And we'll continue to cultivate joy. Um, Caleb, who is Caleb Doan, who's bringing uh, the word this morning, uh, married, literally married into the Northbridge family, married Sarah Carlos. And um, I've known Caleb uh, since probably junior high through Lake Ann. Was it a fresh, freshman year that you guys met at Lake Ann? was before then. After, sophomore year. after the sophomore. So Caleb and Sarah met at at Lake Ann, and it was after their sophomore year. I remember driving several times um, a group of giggly girls up to Grant, Michigan, where they would hang out um, with Caleb and his buddies and I would go off somewhere in Grant to find a place. There's like one coffee shop um, that I think closes at 6 p.m. Um, or to, to a, a football game occasionally on a, on a Friday night. And, um, and uh, Caleb and Sarah were married uh, this summer. We've asked him to come share God's word with you um, because, in watching his life, as he went to the University of Michigan, Sarah graduated from Michigan State. So you, you can figure that figure that out. Opposites do attract, I guess. Um, both of them just lived exemplary lives in their in their dating life and in their walk with God, and um, just really really grew. Um, Caleb was the chaplain of his fraternity. Um, graduated from the business school there at Michigan University of Michigan and um, just started a uh, management consulting job in Chicago. And so we've asked him to come open the Word of God this morning and to, to really challenge us as we're in the middle of this series in First Timothy that deals with households, and to, to look at the Word of God and, and answer really two questions. Um, how can parents and our community, our church, prepare young people for their faith to thrive um, when they leave the household, Um, How can we prepare them? And then even to to address young people from God's word, if you're here and you're listening to God's word, you have a responsibility before God as well for you to be preparing um, for your faith to thrive now and as you mature and are on your own. So thank you, Caleb, uh, for being here and opening God's word. You can take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy chapter six. Thank you, Caleb. Come minister God's word to us
8: all right well good morning northbridge it is very good to be with you all this morning uh, as pastor ray mentioned my name is caleb i visited several times while dating sarah and we like he said got married this past summer so she is now sarah Done, which is actually the exact same name as my sister growing up so that totally doesn't get confusing at all in our household we uh we took a trip out to arizona before Christmas this year with my sister and her husband and I had like a five-minute conversation with my sister where my wife was in the other room thinking I was talking to her the entire time and she was like answering me and wondering why I wasn't talking back to her. And then my name, as I mentioned, is Caleb and professors in particular I've found have a very difficult time saying my name. They're clearly not familiar with the story of Caleb in the Bible. I had a professor who pronounced my name as "celeb" the first day of class when I was at school, and I didn't have the heart to correct him, so I was just "celeb" for 15 weeks. So all that to say is that names are all but useful, are all but useless in my household at this time. So if you ever forget our names, just say "hey you" in our general direction, and we'll probably respond to you. So I'll briefly share a little bit uh, just about my background, so you guys kind of get an idea of where. I'm coming from this morning. I'll spend most of my time kind of talking about my life after high school. It's so that'll inform our discussion. So as Pastor Ray mentioned, I'm from Grant, Michigan. It's a very small town. I think population like 900 right now. So uh, like he said, only one coffee shop type of town. Um, I come from a strong Bible-believing Christian home, which I'm very thankful for. I was saved at a pretty young age involved in kind of church and youth group and involved in sports all through high school. The summer after my sophomore year, I met a pretty blonde girl at Lake Ann, and you guys know how that ended up. Um, So that's been wonderful. And then after graduating high school, I decided to go to U of M to pursue a degree in business. And this is obviously a big transition. It's kind of leaving your home church, leaving your family and all your friends, and going off to Ann Arbor. And I didn't have anyone else from my class coming with me. So it was certainly kind of a jarring experience. And I remember I was really excited to go to U of M and we had this orientation like three months before uh, school started where all the freshmen would go and kind of like sign up for classes and stuff. And I remember after that three day period, I came back to my parents and I was just distraught because I thought I made a huge mistake not going to a Christian school because I didn't meet anybody else who was kind of like me at orientation, and I was really scared that it was going to be, you know, a really lonely four years, but they reassured me that I'd still be able to find Christian community, even at U of M, and eventually uh, Sarah actually introduced me to one of her friend's boyfriends who is in a Christian fraternity at Michigan, and probably like some of you guys are thinking right now, When I heard Christian fraternity, I was extremely skeptical at first. I I very much associated fraternities with, you know, heavy drinking and all kind of the the bad parts of college, you know, that you hear about in youth group growing up. But she assured me that her, her friend's boyfriend was a strong Christian guy and I should definitely check it out. So when I got to campus, I kind of looked up this fraternity. It was called Brothers Under Christ Fraternity or Bucks for short. So if you hear me call it Bucks, that's what I'm talking about. And in short, I was, I was really just blown away with these guys, um, kind of the only thing that they had in common with a normal fraternity was there were like 35 guys living in this house all together, and that was a wonderful experience, but other than that, they, they were just all really committed to pursuing their faith throughout college, and I was super attracted to that. So I joined my freshman year, um, I kind of led small groups, and eventually was president for a year where I led chapter meetings with everyone together. And all in all, it was was just a wonderful experience being around all of these guys who were similarly committed to pursuing their faith throughout college. So I wanted to share that because as you know today, I'll really be addressing two key questions. The first being around how can young people prepare themselves for living a Christ-centered life after high school? And then how can parents also prepare their children to live a Christ-centered life after high school? We'll kind of tackle these in turn. I have a couple points around each. I'll spend a little bit more time talking about how young people can prepare themselves, because that's a little more of where my experience lies. Uh, but I'm hoping we can all leave here with a better idea of how to maintain our faith while making that you know, very important transition uh, to life after high school. So as Sam read earlier, our text this morning is going to be that passage in, in Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. And I thought this passage was a really good one for A few key reasons. Uh, As we know that the transition from, you know, high school to college or to the workforce or or wherever you go is certainly a big transition. And this text in Deuteronomy was written to the Israelite people who were also undergoing a major transition. They were kind of finishing this 40-year wandering in the desert, and they were about to go into the promised land. And anytime there's this big transition in your life, I feel like it's really important to center yourself and understand you know, in this next part of your life, how are you going to glorify God? Also, we see this passage is written to both parents and children, and it's meant to be passed down from one generation to another. So it's good to inform parents how they can be involved in their child's spiritual development. And then lastly, we see it features the greatest commandment. Jesus, many years later, would be asked, you know, what's, what's the greatest commandment in the Bible? And he would reference this passage in Deuteronomy. Um, so it's certainly worthy of our attention this morning. Uh, so I'm going to pray, and then we can we can get into the, the passage this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to open up your word and glean some information from it, Lord. I pray that you would uh, be with this message today, that it could be beneficial to those listening, and I pray specifically that you would be with the young people at Northbridge, Father, that that as they leave high school, they would still be able to cultivate their faith and that they would uh, feel prepared to do that, Father. I thank you for this church and for its commitment to preaching uh, from your word, Father, and I pray that you would bless this message this morning, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so verses 1 and 2 of the text this morning, they say, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. That you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. My first point uh, for young people this morning is to recognize God's word as the final authority in your life. We see how Moses thought this was extremely important to level set with the people uh, before going over into the promised land that God's word needs to be the final authority in your life. Uh, for you, young people, being raised in a church like Northbridge is an extreme privilege that you know the church is committed to preaching the Word of God, regardless of how politically incorrect it can be, or how difficult it can be, or maybe countercultural it is. And I was raised in a similar church. And I'm very fortunate to have that background. But I found that after high school, you encounter, you know, many different ideas and theologies and different philosophies that people have uh, that are very contradictory to the Bible. You know, you meet people who were raised in churches different from this. You meet people who, you know, were raised in a way where they're extremely hostile to Christianity. And you meet people that are just kind of indifferent to religion altogether. And getting exposure to all these people it can really make you question, you know, like, why do I believe what I believe? And as Christians, it's important to understand that, you know, we believe what we believe because the Bible is the perfect word of God, and with it, it has this authority over our life. Martin Luther was really famous for calling out theologies that were contradictory to the word of God in his time. In the, I think it was the 16th century century, Um, after kind of critiquing uh, the teachings of the Catholic Church, he was called before this council in Germany and asked to recant his teachings. And this is how he replied. He said, unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience would neither be right nor safe. God help me, here I stand, I can do no other. So for him to go against Scripture and to violate his conscience was far, far more dangerous than to risk being excommunicated or executed for his beliefs. And for Christians, we know there will certainly be times where our actions might not agree with the Bible, and that's just what we call sin, and there will probably even be times where our theology might not agree with the Bible, but it's important as Christians in those times to recognize that it's our actions, and it's our theology, and it's our ideas that need to change to conform to the Bible, as opposed to trying to twist the Bible to fit whatever kind of preconceived ideas that we have. Scripture is supposed to be the lens through which we interpret the world as opposed to, to the other way around. And so to kind of give an illustration, um, God has blessed me with many things in my life, but clear vision is not one of them. So I have to wear contacts, otherwise I can't see anything. And In college, I lived at the the Bucks house, is what we called it, with those 25 other other guys in the fraternity. So every morning I would wake up, and I lived on the third floor, and so I'd grab my dop kit and my towel, and I'd put on my slides, because you did not want to walk barefoot in the house at all. And I would walk down into the second floor bathroom, and, you know, I'd open up the door, and it was, like, nice white tile and white walls, and there were these big windows, and, like, the sun would be shining in. And I'd be like, "Wow, this looks immaculate. Like someone clearly cleaned this while I was gone." And so I'd put my contacts in and the first thing I would see is just like beard hair all throughout the sink and I would see like caked on toothpaste on the faucet, like hard water spots on the shower and I mean, you guys you guys get the idea. But all in all, this is this is what scripture does for us too. It it's the lens by which we see the world, and it brings into focus the world, and it points out the sin in our life and all those dirty spots. Um, When you see that compared to the holiness of the Bible, that's when we're really able to see the sin in our life and submit ourselves to the authority of Scripture. So when we see something in our life that's contradictory to the Bible, like, you know, we see people say that you know, God is just there to to make you happier, to make your life easier, or you hear, you know, maybe a professor at school say, you know, there's no such thing as absolute truth, or you hear people, you know, saying they're not going to live out their faith in college because they might miss out on something. Uh, It's in those times that we need to recognize the Bible is the ultimate authority in our life because it's the Word of God, and we need to submit ourselves to that. And regardless of how offensive or countercultural the Bible is, we can still have that same devotion to Scripture that Martin Luther said in that quote where he said, unless I am convinced by Scripture and plain reason, my conscience is captive to the Word of God. In our text this morning, reading on in verses 3 through 5, it says, Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord your God of your fathers has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So here we see that, that greatest commandment that we talked about before, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. And Jesus would also add what the second greatest commandment is, which, do you guys remember it, what the second greatest one is? Yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. And, of course, these, these seem relatively straightforward. It seems like you could accomplish these, but in reality, we find that it's an amazing, amazing sacrifice. And I would say one of the most common false gospels or false ideas that I heard in my life after high school is that, you know, God is there to make your life easy, that he's there to shield you from sacrifice and shield you from trials. And that God's, you know, ultimate goal is to be this sort of divine grandfather that's like passing out blessings to his children. And while God certainly loves to bless his children, and, you know, we've all been on the receiving end of that, we see that the people who were really closest to Jesus and the people who were living out their faith the most had, you know, terrible lives from a worldly standpoint. Um, In Luke, Jesus said to Peter, Behold, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And people like Peter all throughout the Bible, they were persecuted and they were stoned and they were jailed and crucified. And the Christian life is certainly not a guarantee against sacrifice. It's a relationship with the Lord. Pastor Ray has been talking about the idea of godliness over the past few weeks and how you know godliness is this idea of allowing holiness to permeate through every single aspect of your life. And there's no option to say, you know, I'll allow God in my life, but not in this, you know, one piece, or I'm going to follow God, but I'm going to put my faith kind of on the back burner for the next, you know, four years of college because I don't want to miss out on any experience. But we see that Christianity is really allowing holiness to permeate through your entire life. So there were definitely experiences that that I missed out on college, that Sarah missed out on in college. Uh, because of our faith and that's just a reality. I remember freshman year getting asked to uh, like go to the bars with a lot of the guys in our dorm and of course we were only 18 at the time and I was like uh, oh, you know I'll I'll kind of stay back on this and they were like come on you know don't you have like a fake ID and when I told them I didn't have a fake ID it was like telling them I didn't have a cell phone you know it was just like unfathomable at that time. Um, but, of course, it's, it is a sacrifice in college, giving up some of those experience experiences, and it's a sacrifice your entire life uh, to follow the Lord. And this, this idea of sacrifice, it reminds me of the story of the rich young ruler. And, of course, you guys remember this story. Uh, I think it's in Matthew, um, where this young person comes to Jesus and says, you know, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? and Jesus says, you know the commandments, you know, like don't don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal. And this guy says, "Great, you know? I'm paraphrasing, of course, but this guy says, "Great, I've done all these things for my youth." And Jesus says, "Oh, and one more thing. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor." And the Bible says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So we see here, I don't want I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea that You know, Christianity is about checking off all of these boxes. In fact, this story is a condemnation against works-based religions because we see that regardless of how much we do, how many good works we have in our life, sin will still be present, and God requires holiness. And though we, we can't accomplish that ourselves, we have a Savior whose righteousness is imputed to us through his work on the cross. And our response to that is not, you know, great, now I can live a life free of trials and free of sacrifice, um instead our response is really from Matthew 16:24 it says deny yourself take up your cross and follow me so though this this young ruler's life was seemingly full of good works we see that his heart was really captive to his possessions and i think there's a lot of us where you know our our heart is captive to you know ease of life or our heart is captive to these experiences that we we are scared of missing out on but to maintain a strong faith after high school, we need hearts that are captive to the word of God. And lastly, as a quick application point for young people, I would say to get involved in a Christian community. I know there's a lot of people, you know, once they leave high school, if they're going to college, you know, they're they're moving away from their home church. And so the first step very practically is to just get involved in a Christian church. And then secondly, I would say, You know, especially if you're at college, get involved in a Christian organization like Crew, or for me it was Bucks, the Christian fraternity. And in the Christian fraternity, we had a a verse, kind of our founding verse, that we would say before every chapter meeting, and we had hand motions that went with it too. So it was Psalm 133, verse 1, and it went like this. We would say, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Psalm 133, verse 1. And I don't know why brothers was a moose, uh, but someone clearly made made that judgment call and everyone just rolled with it after that. Um, I was there four years and I never asked that question. Um, So so that's just what we went with. But I, I can't even explain how true I found that verse to be, how pleasant it was just to be with other people at school who were going through the same stage of life, who all had that same goal in mind, And we also frequently quoted uh, Proverbs 27, 17, which you guys know, You know, as as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Um, And it it really was an amazing experience to be surrounded by guys who were genuinely concerned, not only with their own faith being furthered in college, but also all the guys around them, and they were willing to, to lend advice and lend help whenever it was needed. So I wanna shift gears a little bit and also talk about how parents can prepare their children. Uh, to live this Christ-centered life after high school. And although I don't have any experience raising children of my own, I was on the receiving end of godly parenting for the past 23 years, and I'm extremely thankful for the family that God has given me for many reasons. Um, I would say, you know, what I'm most thankful for in terms of my family is that my parents are genuine followers of Jesus themselves. And I would say that, that certainly has done the most to prepare me um, to stick to my faith after high school. And Pastor Ray mentioned that some of you parents have gone through the book, uh, Raising Passionate Jesus Followers, I think in a, in a little seminar that he put on. And near the beginning of the book, uh, it says this, before we even get going on what the scriptures teach about raising children whose faith will become their own, we are compelled to pause and ask, are you a passionate Jesus follower? Is Jesus at the very center of your decision making, your vocation, your relationships? Are you learning and growing and falling more in love with Jesus, and can you honestly say that He is your master? And so this is obviously written to, to parents who are looking to, you know, raise children who will make their faith their own someday. And I think the most important lesson that I learned from my parents was certainly not something they explicitly told me, because that frequently just like went in one ear and out the other ear, my parents still say I have selective hearing. Um, but i would say the most important thing i learned from my parents was just what they lived out every single day for 23 years you know what they prioritized their faithfulness to our church both in serving the church and attending the church how we spent our time at home you know what we watched and what we listened to it was just following my parents example i remember playing rocket football uh, when i was in middle school and my dad was an assistant coach on the team and every single day we had practice after school, and every single day I would go to practice after school, except on Wednesdays, we would leave 30 minutes early because Wednesdays was youth group, and so that was just all I knew. I, I thought every kid you know, did that, they just had youth group on Saturdays or something, but it became quite clear to me at a young age that church was obviously a priority in my dad's life and my parents' life, and it needed to be a priority in my life as well. And I think fathers specifically have a very outsized impact when it comes to influencing their family. I saw a statistic the other day, and it said that if a child is the first person saved in their family, then just historically there's about like a 4% chance that the rest of the family will come to know the Lord. And if a mother's the first, it's like a 17% chance. And if the father is the first person in the family to get saved, there's a 93% chance that the rest of the family comes to know the Lord. And of course, God can use mothers and children and missionaries and anyone to further his kingdom, but I think you guys get my point, that God has set fathers at the head of their household, and that comes with a very weighty influence on their family. In the book of Joshua, after entering the promised land, Joshua, in his old age, he addressed the people of Israel, and this was kind of when they were undergoing a transition as well. And he said this, Now therefore... Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods of your fathers beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in the land who you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua decided right then and there, who his family would serve. And I think that every parent has a very vital role in demonstrating to their children who or what they're gonna serve. And I think this has a major influence on children in understanding what is worthy of serving and what's worthy of serving after high school. And lastly, verses six through nine of our text this morning, uh, they say the following. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." I think it's important to note that this passage was written directly to parents. Um, it, It was not written to youth pastors, it wasn't written to head pastors, it wasn't written to teachers or anything. Uh, God puts the the responsibility of training up children in a spiritual manner squarely on the shoulders of the parents. I remember when I was a a child, um, every night before bed, we had this like big book of Bible stories and when my parents were tucking me and my sister in, we would each get to choose one Bible story for them to read to us that night. And so every night my sister would pick out, you know, a different Bible story that was really interesting to her And every single night, I would pick out Samson, and that's it. And so every night, my parents read the exact same five pages of Samson, and I absolutely loved it. And it showed me from a very young age that my parents were going to be the ones um, who were involved in my spiritual development, that if I had a question about Christianity or about my faith or about God or whatever it was, my parents were the ones to go to, and they were that source of information. Even now, I think at 23 years old, I still cherish and really appreciate my parents' advice, and I think I I honestly listen to it probably now more than I ever did in my life. And the the questions that I have have certainly changed. It's not you know, Dad, could you beat Samson at an arm wrestling match? It's you know more so like, you know, how do I prioritize my marriage while working full time, or you know, how do I allocate tithe or something like that. And my parents are always there uh, to offer that, that sound advice. And it's, it's such a blessing to have parents that not only are genuine and passionate Jesus followers themselves, but they have also taken on ownership and taken on role, that role of my personal spiritual development. And I think having that combo uh, has absolutely prepared me the most for a Christ-centered life after high school. So I'm going to go ahead and pray and close this out, and then I'll pass it off to to Pastor Ray here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning, Lord. We thank you for the truth that we can glean from it. I pray that this would be beneficial to those here, Lord, and I pray that you would be with young people as they prepare themselves to go off to life after high school, Father. I pray that it would be a time uh, not of falling away from you, Father, but a time of intentional investment in their faith, and I pray that you would equip parents uh, to walk alongside their children as they make that transition, Lord. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.